Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Scott White. Scott, how are you? I'm doing good. Nice to be here. Glad to have you back. And as a runner myself, I've been thinking about you and how things have gone since we last spoke. And I hope you don't mind if we jump into it, because this is what I'm really curious about. Yeah, that sounds great. So when we spoke last time, I'd asked you what the environment meant to you. And also, if you could make a commitment to it. And can you remind us what you thought about when, what do you think about when you think about the environment and what that led to? Or what commitment you made? We discussed my childhood and things that I remembered. And we came up with the fact that I used to do a lot of races, but I hadn't done one in a long time. So I committed to doing a 10K, which is 6.2 miles, and doing it out, outside down in Florida, uh, which I'm, I'm spending the winter in Florida. So I made that commitment and did all my, started making it a part of my weekly routine and got all geared up for it. But I got to tell you, I didn't end up, <laughs> I did not end up running in a public race because I got COVID about a week before the one that I was supposed to do. So instead, what I did is I stayed with the same day and I did the same distance. So I, I ended up, so I didn't want to you know, be part of the public crowd. So I ended up completing the task, I guess. That sounds to me almost more impressive to because you did it against resistance. One, you weren't feeling well. I don't know how bad it hit you. Uh, some people are totally non-symptomatic, um, but you did it. It also reminds me of early in the pandemic, there was some guy who like ran a marathon on his balcony. I don't know if you read that one. No, I did not. No. He has some guy on like a balcony that's 10 feet long, like ran back and forth thousands of times. Yeah. So in your case, it sounds like you, there was, if I heard right, there was training to get up to it. We're not, I'm 50 yes. and I know that I used to be able to, in the spring, the weather would get warm and I'd go out and run my first lap of Central Park, which is six miles of hills. Now, nope. If I did that, I'm going to get injured partway through and the injury is going to last months instead of a couple of days. And so I thought, how's he going to ramp up? Is he going to, so was there a lot of ramping up? Was there preparation? There was, there's preparation. Got a little derailed with COVID, but yeah, there's progress in ramping up. And even though it was only six, I'm, I'm a little older, I'm 57 and pushing myself to knowing that I had that commitment made me make sure that I was doing preparation. And I was going to say, in reflecting on everything, on the experience, it was really about the preparation more than the actual event. It was the setting a goal, knowing that I had this commitment, didn't want to have a horrible time. And, and so that, so that it was the, there was some enjoyment in the preparation. There was enjoyment of getting out there and seeing my time get a little faster, making sure I got my practice runs in at four miles and um, building up some confidence that I was going to be able to complete the task. And I was a little bit disappointed that when I realized that I it probably wouldn't, although I didn't feel horrible with COVID, it probably would have, it, not probably, it would have been not in good taste to actually try to show up and do that race, knowing that I might be infectious. So breathing heavy would, yeah. Yeah. That was, I didn't want to be around other people and 
maybe be contagious. I was disappointed that I wasn't going to be able to run it. And then my, actually my wife said, you can still (laughs) run the same distance on the same day. You just can't do it with the crowd. You have to see you do it where you were practicing. So I ended up doing it and completing it. But the memories that it brought back was just the fun of making a commitment and accomplishing something. Yeah. And pushing myself to do a little bit more than I would have otherwise. That's what I really enjoyed. That whole process. So I want to ask two parts about how it connected with the rest of life, because you also are working in an energy company and doing stuff in nature connects with that. But I want to table that. First, I want to hear more about the, how much, because I, part of what I did the first time was to, if I did it, my goal was to connect you, not just to do something. I didn't want to coerce or cajole you into something. I hope to inspire you and connect with something earlier that you would, so that when you're doing it, you're not just like doing it because Josh suggested it, but that you were reconnecting with something from before and, and ideally something connected with nature. So that's what led to being outside and running and connecting with the experience. It's almost like meditation when you're out there spending a half an hour just running out and being with nature and, and clearing your head. So I missed that. I hadn't done that in a long time, in years. What were the emotions so, that you felt? What was the journey? Going all the way back to when you committed and were first thinking about it, to when you were planning to do it, to when you were training, to when you did it. Was it, yeah, what emotions did come up? A little bit to get ready for something that's physical like that. You have to sacrifice a little bit. You have to, you know, you have to push yourself a little bit harder than you would have and make time for it and make it a priority uh, which in the busy life with lots of meetings your habits and things can be <laughs> pulled in different directions and my job isn't to be in the olympics my job is to run a company and it's a demanding it's a demanding schedule having something that i'm committed to kind of gave me the freedom to set aside time to make sure that I was out there preparing for it. And I actually enjoyed that to be able to, to spend time on something that I had maybe had been starting to neglect through other commitments. So, but just, yeah, just finishing those, a practice run made me feel good. Made me feel like I accomplished something that I pushed myself a little bit harder. And I, I missed that. I'm going to try to keep actually going to try to keep that as a part of my my routine now. I'm going to try to run once a week. I'm overjoyed to hear this because partly because I feel like, can I go to sleep tonight? Sure. Like, ah, yeah, I helped. And part of every time I do this with someone, when I ask them what nature means to them, what the environment means to them, and they come up with something, there's always something, a reward. And it tends to be, if I read you right, it's a little more rewarding than you expected. Or rewarding in a different way, like beyond, like you knew that you'd like it, but there's something in the doing that brought yeah. up more than you could have anticipated. Yeah. And it wasn't the race, which I didn't actually get to do, but uh, it was the process of working towards something and pushing myself and the experience itself of being outside. It brought back memories of, yeah, I used to do this all the time. It was nice to reconnect to that. And I also heard, if I heard you right, that you were, now, this is something that you, it was easier to say uh, some of the stuff at work I can put off a bit 
Did it make you less effective at work? Oh, no. Did it no. make you more effective at work or the same? Or I would I'd say my productivity was the same, but I just, it, it may, who knows? It might have made me slightly more effective, but I certainly felt more balanced. I certainly felt, I feel having that other activity in life leads to some balance. So I'm gonna, it was healthy. I'm going to jump ahead to my experience and what motivates me to get so enthusiastic about this podcast is that I had, I've had experiences like this and then I, each is better than I expect. So I keep doing more. And by this point, I've done enough that people, if I just tell them the outcome, they're like, Oh, Josh, you're so extreme. But each step of the way led to more steps of the way. And each step of the way was always using less power, using less energy, polluting less. That was like, it wasn't like, I wasn't saying, how can I pollute less? It was saying, how can I discover more of these things that polluting deprived me of? So I'm certainly no, I have no opposition to using wind power instead of oil. But what's getting me is using less power completely. And I'm down now below 90% of what I used to pollute, according to the online calculator at, I forget, the carbon footprint place. And my life has gotten better. That's amazing. I would say that too, except that now looking back, I feel like it was just my nose, following my nose. And this is what I try to, what I want to get out there is that I think that when people are, I believe that if I motivate people based on their intrinsic connections, their, their authentic intrinsic motivations, internal that we all have, I think everyone has not exactly your experience with running, but their experiences with whatever they do. And that when we act on that, it's a very different experience, that authentic intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic, we're all going to die if we don't do this. Think of the children and the various different motivations people have of like, here's 10 little things you can do for the environment. Yes, by all means, do those 10 little things or however many you want to do. But I think for most people running 10K is more than a little thing. Maybe for you, it's not. Maybe for you, it is. But if someone said, go run 10K, I think that you might be, my hypothesis is that if you, having had this experience, would be open to doing more. Yeah. And for me, it, it wasn't, it was a little bit of a stretch. It, everybody's different. But for me, for somebody else, maybe it's 10 miles, or maybe for somebody else, it could be one mile. <laughs> everybody's, but just setting something that was a stretch and having to work towards it, that was the starting point, setting a goal. I look at your reduction of using energy. I see the comparison there. Like you, you started out with the goal and probably at first you didn't start where you are today. You worked towards it. You progressed over time. You, yeah. Yeah. If someone um, had told me at the beginning, Josh, here's all the things you should do in this time. I'd be like, forget that. And my goal originally was just to avoid packaged food, which is also to see if I could do it because I just spent a little time at my sister. She's got three kids and she cooks from scratch and buys vegetables from the farmer's market. I never did that. And I thought of how much garbage I was producing. And it was this, maybe I can't fix the whole world, but at least my garbage I can do something about. And it turned out that what, what you described me with something in my own way, I thought it was going to be hard. I thought I, I thought I was sacrificing for the team because it's New York City. I can get... 10 cuisines within a two minute walk. And 
they're better chefs than I am a cook. And, but I stuck with it. And eventually my cooking got better, at least to my taste. And then it was like, what's the next thing I can do? What's the next thing I can do? And next thing I'm not flying for a year. And next thing I'm not flying for another year. And I think that this, I don't think that I'm unique in having this authentic, intrinsic motivation coming from my memories of my environment. And in this case, also my connection with my family. And I think that's something that for people who want to change the world, to extend, to have us decrease how much or reverse lowering Earth's ability to sustain life, if we want to increase Earth's ability to sustain life, I think this is a path that's available to everyone, literally everyone, because for each person, there's no cost. It saves me time. It saves me money. And it leads to more. And I think it benefits everyone. It certainly benefits the person doing it because each person is acting on his or her own values. Do you, do you feel like you're sacrificing much or do you feel like what you get back is worth whatever sacrifice? It, it changed over time with experience because at the beginning, I thought this is going to be sacrifice. And truth be told, the first six months of my avoiding packaged food was really bland food. Uh, just steamed vegetables, put them over rice and beans and salt, pepper, maybe a little vinegar, something like that. But slowly I'd say, oh, this vegetable fits with that vegetable. This one fits with that one and so forth. And eventually, and then I got the pressure cooker and that made things a lot easier. And then with the no flying, with the challenge myself to avoid flying for you, that one I thought would be the worst year of my life. I thought I was going to get fired from my job and disowned from my family and miss out on all the great things in the world. But I ended up getting closer with my family, having more control over my career and all these other benefits, more adventure. So now go forward a bunch of other steps. At one point, I learned about how most of the world ferments more than refrigerates. And I thought at the time, the fridge was my biggest power draw. By this point, I'd done enough things to know that the reward would come. So by the time I, instead of thinking about it, I just walked over and unplugged the fridge and said, I got until the stuff melts to figure out how ferment fermentation works. So I got out the videos and talked to friends and made it three months with my fridge unplugged, which I would have thought it would take me 24 hours before I'd have to plug it back in again. And so that one, I expected it would work out. So there was no sacrifice involved with that one because the earlier ones I'd had the experience of what I expected to be sacrifice ended up not sacrifice. And that change from expecting sacrifice to not expecting, to expecting reward is what is one of the major things that prompted me to this podcast, which was to share with people how I, I believe that everyone, if they have that experience enough times, will feel like I want to change. And I, don't, I can't tell each person what their path would be because everyone has their own unique motivations. But if they get started on that path, I think we can have a lot of people dropping when we look at America, just the low-hanging fruit of things that would improve people's lives, I think is usually at 50 to 75% of their power draw. And if enough people are changing like that, that's just, that's not, that's like, I, I just did the laundry and I, I just have the, it's, it's a drying on a drying rack. I, I haven't used a dryer in a long time. It saves me money. It's really no more extra time. And so now we have people not buying dryers 
and people not running dryers. And now we don't, people say how, yeah, you can do one little thing, but there's all these industrial uses that you can't do anything about. But those industrial uses are to supply a lot of the stuff that we are over consuming. So I'm thinking if people start feeling like there's a joyful transition in their own lives that collectively lead to a joyful transition national, and we're the most polluting, so that's going to be global because everyone's pointing at us and saying, if they don't change, we're not going to change. Certainly China is, certainly Russia. I, well, actually, I don't know what they're saying, but we're certainly saying it about them. If we stop, but they don't, what difference does it make? So everyone's saying, well, that doesn't stop. We don't. But if the US actually starts dramatically lowering its use, improving our lives in the process by running more, by eating foods from local farms, not because they taste better, because it saves me money. Because one of the highlights of my year is when I take the bus around Labor Day, around the end of the summer, they host everyone who gets a, a CSA. I get, every week I go to the pickup spot on 16th Street and I pick up my delivery from the farm. And so there's one farm where I get most of my vegetables from. And at the end of the summer, they have a day when all the roughly 1,000, 1,500 people that they serve this way come in and we have a big potluck meal and we all, they turn over some dirt and we get the potatoes and the carrots and we get to pick our own stuff. But the big highlight for me and why I don't eat for like the day before I go there is the cherry tomatoes there are just insane. It's like my mom's are really good in her garden and they're nothing compared to these. I can't describe them. It's really like instead of picking the cherry tomato off the vine and putting it in my mouth, I put it in my mouth while it's still on the vine and chew it then because maybe that one second leaving the vine, it might lose a little flavor and I want to get that maximum flavor. Just fun. And I want to bring to the world what I call leadership, leading with the intrinsic motivation that people have, not as opposed to extrinsic or carrots and sticks, which would be management. And I just talked a bunch. How, how does it sound? Yeah. Does it ring true? Does it sound like something? That yeah. What a lot of what you do takes effort, but once you start doing it, it sounds like to me that I'm trying to compare it to my commitment to, to, to do this run. That was a more of a stretch for what I would normally do. When I first approached it, it was like, man, this is a, <laughs> this is going to be work. But actually, it wasn't work. It was work. It was a commitment. It was effort. But the accomplishment and the actual doing of it was actually, I found to be enjoyable. And listening to you talk about your change in eating and directing most of your consumption from that directly from the, the farmer's market, you're enjoying that. So it might have been at first a commitment that was but once you do it, it isn't. It's actually enjoyment. Like my, that running that was an enjoyment for me, not an effort. So I think a lot of the change that you're talking about is the initial start is people is going to be perceived as that's a lot of work. That's a lot of commitment. But once somebody starts that process, they may find out that it's it really was a, a sacrifice or an effort. For you, just what I just heard is I don't think you can go back to a lot of the old behaviors. No way. Yeah. And I want to continue the the routine of running and exercise and making the effort because I enjoy it. Yeah. I, I think that a non-runner might say all that running must tire you out. 
But for my, the reason I run when I run is it gives me energy. Yeah, literally it takes energy. I'm burning calories. But in terms of motivation, it gives me energy. Yeah. And it was a commitment. And I thought effort and work, but it wasn't work. It was <laughs> for me. When I started this podcast, if you listen to the early guests, at the beginning, I would say to them, hey, why don't you do a little thing for the environment? And they could see it coming. And they're like, oh, I'm already doing a lot. It took a while. And someone who I'm not saying listen to all my podcast episodes, although you might like them. You'll see that over time I developed, I first have to get to their motivation. And what that's the one of the big discoveries that came after I started the podcast, which is why I'm such a big fan of starting, even when you don't have the perfect solution, is then I discovered that the universality of people's connection to nature and that nature, that's not something that I have to... There's lots of issues where there's like wedge issues in this country, gun control, abortion, things like that, where people obviously disagree. But even on things like nutrition or, or education, there's still a lot of disagreement. Clean air, clean water, clean land, are, that we love something. If it's walking in a forest, if it's playing in the beach, if it's taking the dog to the park, there's something in everyone. That one, I don't have to struggle to find. And when it comes out, like you're the head of a company. Lots of heads of companies aren't so public facing. Celebrities are public facing. But I think you don't mind sharing that connection because it's true to you. It's authentic. It's, it's genuine. And so when you act on it, you run, if you said to the world, Hey, I'm going to help the environment. Go, I'm going to help the environment by go running 10 K. Most of the world would be like, what the f that doesn't make any sense. But if, it, if they first hear the motivation, and I think the head of any company, McDonald's would be happy to share his or her motivation as well. And then when they act on it, people are saying, they're not judging, wait a minute, is this going to fix all the world's problems tomorrow? They're saying, I think what I hope that they're saying is probably they're thinking when they hear you talking about their, you talk about your thing, you're running in the commitment. They're thinking, oh, I got something like that. And if you succeed at yours, I want you to succeed because then I can succeed at mine. And if then you start going down that path, then I can start going down that path. That's one of the reasons I'd like to bring CEOs and renowned people, influential people, because they're more comfortable sharing their flaws. They've made mistakes and they know they don't have to be perfect. And actually sharing the flaws and sharing the process is what engages people. Not, I always keep making the mistake of being like, hey, I've taken in my third year without emptying a load of garbage. And they're all like, oh, you can do that, but I can't. You're totally different than me. And I really should share more of how awful the food tasted when I was just steaming it. <laughs> not awful, just not flavorful. Hey, what you do, you're demonstrating what is possible. For me, it's hard to think about not having access to a refrigerator for, do you say three months? Actually, this is my third time doing it now. And so now I'm in month five of this time. And I'll probably, I'll probably make it, last time was six months. It was three months, then six and a half months. This time I anticipate eight months. Yeah. But that's, that's like maybe running a marathon to most people. Like most people can't do that. <laughs> Me too. Or, I, or an ultra marathon. <laughs> yeah, I had no, I really thought 24 hours tops the first time I did it. I had no conception that I would make it three months. Yeah. Yeah. And, but now I start fermenting. And so I can make these chutneys and, and sauerkraut and things like that. That I, at first I was like, it was really hard. But now sometimes I do it when I'm on the phone with someone. When I was growing up, not growing up, but when I was older, I, I remember once my mom 
I'm talking to her and I realized that in the course of our conversation, she's made a meal for 10 people. I'm sitting there paying, she's, we're both paying attention. And I say, mom, how does this happen that we, we had a conversation, we were both engaged, but you made a meal for 10 people. and I just sat here and she said, because it's relaxing, which blew my mind because making a meal for myself is, is a challenge at that time was a challenge enough, but now I've done it enough. And, and that's a touchstone for me of, oh, I'm getting to connect with my mom in a way that I hadn't connected before because I'm finding it relaxing. Yeah. It's, for her, she accomplished something, but she enjoyed it. It was an activity. It was second nature. Your conservation and your lifestyle is now second nature, but to the vast majority of people, myself included, a lot of what you're suggesting, obviously, if you can do it, I should be able to do more. But the initial starting of any journey can seem overwhelming. But I think maybe the moral here is like to encourage people that maybe if you start it, you may find it's not so bad. And it may be that it's something that you actually enjoy. What I found is the starting point is what does the environment mean to you? Actually, before that, even that can ask someone to expose a vulnerability. So even before that, I have to communicate non-judgment and support. So the person, when I say, what does the environment mean to you? They can share something. Most people actually, their first answer is, oh, all the plastic in the oceans or pick your environmental headline. And they'll talk about that, but that's not personal. That's not intrinsic. So I have to guide them to where they talk about something intrinsic. Once that's out there, Eisenhower said, the leadership is the art of getting the other guy to do your thing for his reason. Now, in this case, it's not my thing. I have the person also think of what their thing will be. But it's getting them to do something for their reason. And what's driving me is that everyone has a reason to help conserve nature. But for them in their heart, they're not conserving nature. They're going for a run. They're you know, avoiding packaged food and just eating, copying a sister. Now, so for a company that sells energy... What I want is for you to sell less energy, for people to demand <laughs> well, less energy. Yeah. And to the extent it can be created without any pollution, which is still hard because even if you're using renewables, because to make a windmill or to make a solar panel still takes fossil fuels. But that's a big challenge that I think that one of the reasons I want to talk to you is do oil company, do, sorry, because do, I don't think of you as an oil company. I think of you as an energy company, if I've gotten it right. And in fact, you're probably like an anti-oil company if I'm not putting words in your mouth. Uh, and we're not an exploration and production. Yeah, we're more of a consumer. We're helping consumers procure their energy cost-effectively and now environmentally friendly ways. You're in a world so, that, like you, you're saying what I'm doing to a lot of people would seem like really complicated. You're in a complicated situation that's very interesting to me of your, you see consumer demand directly, but you could also mm -hmm. possibly affect consumer demand more directly. When I hear about those experiments where if they, one set of houses has the meter where you can see it directly and the other doesn't have a meter that you can see directly. And the ones where you can see the meter directly, they lower the power consumption more or the ones where the bill tells you how you compare with your neighbors. That seems to mm -hmm. all these little 
tricks or experiments to see what works. And I think this is something that could inspire. But I remove, you're right in it, which makes it very, makes your perspective and your possible influence very interesting to me. Yeah. In the energy consumer space for utility, what I would call utility products like gas and electricity, consumers aren't very historically engaged or aware of their their consumption so when you benchmark and say to somebody this is how you're using versus somebody else it, it that is impactful it does have oftentimes a positive effect on maybe more awareness and paying attention to what their behavior they especially if you're pointing out to them you're using a lot more than your neighbor but in general consumers have and been as in tune or aware of their electricity and call it natural gas utility type of purchases, but they are hyperly aware of their choices for gasoline and or transportation because they actually have to physically go purchase it and get their credit card out. Right. And with the utility bill, it's just so we're finding there's a lot the first step is just getting people more aware of even the unit that they're buying. If I'm selling electricity, just letting them know that you actually purchase kilowatt hours. And, <laughs> and what is the price of that? I think with vehicle electrification, there's going to be more, maybe more, because people are going to go buy an electric vehicle and they're going to want to know, well, when am I going to pay to recharge my battery versus refill my tank? So I think there's, I think this electrification is going to make a lot more awareness, but I think, Simply awareness for what you're trying to do. I think it's the same challenge, getting people to be aware of the amount of goods and energy that they're consuming and that we as like the United States typically on average is a much larger consumer per capita than anywhere else in the world. And I think, I don't know if people are in general paying attention to that or aware of that. And with awareness comes choice and you're demonstrating the art of the possible, but certainly there's the vast majority could do a lot better job in reducing their consumption of not just energy, but just of stuff, <laughs> of waste of, of goods that end up in the landfill. And I want to bring them through the technique that I did with you, I call it's now called the Spodic method, sometimes called the AIM method for authentic intrinsic motivation, AIM. And if we, it doesn't bring, it brings awareness, but primarily it brings inspiration, I hope, and insight into, I could just not watch TV for some time and instead go out for a run. I had a guest on the podcast who had just come back from winning a Paralympic silver medal in, in Japan. And I told my mom about how I had this guy who's a really great guest. And she goes, oh, yeah, how did he get to, the, how did he get to Japan? Because she wants to, she flies and I don't fly. So she's like, how did he get there? But it occurred to me that most people's experience of the Olympics is not to go there. It's to watch on TV, but not to do a sport. If the Olympics didn't happen or weren't televised, I think people would participate more. As you did. The Wright brothers was 1903 and the modern Olympics was 18 something. So 
Olympics don't need flying. And for that matter, the old Olympics was thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I looked, these, I looked them all up. Basketball, baseball, football, all precede airplanes. And if you look at stuff like soccer, its precedents go way back. If you look at something like wrestling and track, that's like thousands of years back. Actually, wrestling, I think basically all mammals rough and tumble play when they're kids. I think that goes back hundreds of millions of years in a sense, not as humans, but as our ancestors tumbled around, I think. And I envision what I, what I want to bring to people, say that the Spodic method got brought out to people as a program, like an insert, instead of some people put more awareness in, in your bill or compare you with your neighbors. Another program might be to bring you the Spodic method. I don't know how it'd be delivered online or through some set of program. I don't know what it'd be. And ways to switch the view from, I think most people think lowering power means lowering quality of life. But what I found is that yeah, if, you're at the, if you're at the border, probably you're, like, you're barely making it. Maybe every kilowatt hour counts, but that's not the average American. And the most polluting ones, it's probably virtually all unnecessary. Like Bill Gates could drop a fair amount and I don't think he would even notice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then he could probably reduce more and probably in, actually improve his life. And you don't have to be Bill Gates to be in that category. I think if you look at Americans compared to virtually anyone, we're way up there and we're not necessarily happier or healthier, living longer, lower infant mortality. So I think we can improve all those things through less, through improving our lives through less power. Yeah. And I would even say it just, not just that, but con- consumption in general. Yeah, as opposed to just power. Yeah, buying less stuff. Yeah, or buying stuff that lasts longer. That that that's something I'm going to try to do. <laughs> Think about a little bit more, like Patagonia, and they're making clothes that is supposed to last a lifetime. So, you know, that all those choices add up. That reduces, and that we're talking about energy a lot, but just consumption in general is. Uh, we're a very consumer-driven society. Yeah, Patagonia is funny because I, I buy almost only from thrift shops, and there's virtually no Patagonia clothing in thrift shops. It's all H and M and Zara. There's tons of that, but not Patagonia because it's well-made and they'll fix it. They guarantee it for life. Yeah. So. They, I did once see a Patagonia jacket that was my size. I was like, I bought it right away. Yeah. I learned about that about a year ago that they, that's their philosophy. And I, I liked their merchandise just because I liked it, but they didn't realize that, that they definitely have an environmental, strong environmental rationale behind their, their brand and their clothes. And, and they're meant to like reduce the, the churn like you you buy it and you can keep it for the rest of your life so you don't need to continually go through because people uh, consume a lot and they buy clothes and they that's why we have a thrift shop <laughs> oh yeah that's like the tip of the iceberg because if you look at what's going on in ghana and the places where we should where we send we take stuff to goodwill and almost like 90 percent of it gets sent to 
some poor country that can't stop us from dumping it on them. And also Patagonia, I've visited their headquarters and got a tour because one of the directors has been on this podcast. We've become friends. And it's every person in the company, the culture of the company is infused with it. And I, I guarantee you that if I went into any Patagonia store and talked to the people who work there, there's a few things about the company that they're all going to know of the stories about Ivan Schoenard, the founder, and how he bet the company on switching from non-organic cotton to organic cotton and things like that, where he put his money where it's to say he put his money where his mouth is not the depth of how he simply, he knew when he saw how non-organic cotton was produced, he was like, we cannot sell this. This is not something we can do. We're never going to sell this stuff again. It will take us a couple of years to transition because we have to find new suppliers and we have to talk to our, our buyers and we have all these customers that we don't want to leave them in the lurch. So I don't know how big the company was at that time, but they just, it's not like they could do it overnight. But he wasn't going to not do it. He wasn't going to let the challenge stop him. I think it was one of the things that probably gave him energy. And now everyone, I think, at the company probably knows that story. It was a lot of dedication on his part to to get to the level of sustainability in clothing. A lot of people are aware of that. They just, like, they just buy it because they like the name's cool. <laughs> the, it's living by his values and not letting, just because it's easier slip by because for him when he's making this he went to a farm a cotton farm that was not organic and i believe that he was sprayed certainly they could smell I, I, his book let my people go surfing talks about this and if uh, there's videos online of him talking about it i think I'm, I'm pretty sure that he smelled this the pesticides and the fertilizer the artificial stuff that they used he could certainly see that the ground was basically desert, that it was only kept alive through artificial pests, fertilizers. And that was, he grew up surfing and climbing mountains. And that was the opposite of nature. And I, I think he couldn't support that. And I believe I've gotten there in many ways. If someone offered yeah. me a Twinkie, there's not enough money in the world for me to eat it. <laughs> only without eating, I, I wouldn't consume it. Yeah. Now I read that book and it's certainly a great demonstration of corporate, I won't even call it corporate America, but using really being dedicated to his product. It's a very impressive story. Oh, so if you've read it, I hope I didn't bore yeah. you retelling you stuff. No, I, that was, I was inspired by that. Yeah. Our, our challenge not to make excuses is we're dealing with the masses, so I guess I would say, if we can introduce simple changes that don't cause a lot of, maybe I should give our customers more credit, but we're trying to introduce low cost, low effort solutions that gradually add to a better energy ecosystem. Not as focused on the consumption piece yet, but that's something that we can put on, on the table to look at. We're more focused on the supply and greening up the supply or offsetting the carbon and doing it in a way that consumers can give them a way to participate in introducing them to more knowledge and awareness of energy. But, you know, our goal would be to get 
a lot of people participating by doing better over time. I'm going to say something and I don't want to put you on the spot. So tell me to edit this out if you want me to edit this out. But one of the things that I think one of my strategies is to work with companies and bring the Spodic method through workshops to the company. And then the company, you guys know your customers and imagine there's a whole bunch of people that have had an experience like yours. I think they would figure out as collectively, how do we bring this to all the customers? Which is probably how Patagonia brings their message to the customers as well. Because all the people in the company are infused with that. I'm sorry. So, so I walked you through the Spodic method. Yeah. And what I, one of my strategies is to work with companies to do the Spodic method with lots of people in that company so that the company all has the experience that you've had. Now imagine like the lead, from, maybe the leader, like typically the leaders of the company or. Yeah. Usually if I don't get the CEO on board, it's pretty tough because otherwise everyone takes their cue from that person. It can work, but then if everyone has this experience of, Oh, using less power can improve my life. And I want to share this with others. So whom else can I share this with? How else can we bring this? How can we bring to our customers what I've had the experience of myself? Every place is different and unique. Their relationships, each individual is unique. Each company has its own culture and its relationship between the company and its customers is, is unique. Or it's, let's say it's community, not just its customers. But if a company is infused with the values and the behavior backing up, living by those values, I think it's inevitable that it will reach its community. It will become a leader of its customers, its employees, shareholders, and I believe its competition as well. One last question that I haven't asked yet is you alluded to it, but I like to ask people, did your experience with the running, with the acting on the value, did it affect your relationships with other people? If so, how? I think you mentioned your wife, but what are different, how did it affect your relationships with people, if at all? It affected me in terms of being a little more balanced and a little more, maybe less having that other activity to do took me away from some of the things that I might've been stressing over. So it was, I found my overall being less stressful. And I think that that's always good when it, when you're interacting with your, your family or coworkers have that. I think everybody should try to find an outlet and a physical outlet. I think is great. I think if you can, so from, for to reconnect with that, with that running and having that physical outlet to not just for my body, but for my mind to be out there gave me more balance. And when you have more balance, you're, you're better in your interactions with others. If I read you right, then it affected your relationships with everyone because it changed you. The balance. Absolutely. Yeah. This is very good yeah, to hear. Yeah, I think if you can find things that you enjoy that are a stretch and it may seem like work, but it like your was it your mom or your sister that was doing all the cooking? <laughs> Both of them. It was the immediate yeah. what immediately led me to do the challenge was my sister. Yeah. Preparing a meal for 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't. And you're like, you just did that. Like that for her, that was an activity that she enjoyed. Probably if she weren't able to, 
that's the thing. If you weren't, if you all of a sudden stopped doing a lot of the things that you're doing and got on a plane tomorrow, I would wager that you would be more stressed and <laughs> less happy. Yeah, I'd feel miserable. I, I would feel like, uh, because I would think of the people on the, on the other end of the exhaust. And I would think of the people displaced to drill for the oil. And I would think of how there's an analogy that's hit me of cities that have been around for a long time, like before the United States, Paris, London, they're, they're street, they're walking cities. And Houston and LA, LA could have been, a, except for the tunes, if you saw Roger Rabbit, it became an, a, a car city. And I think that airplanes do what the car did to cities, America, uh, planes do to nations of spreading us apart, far from isolating. It's to call a place flyover country. I think people think it's putting down the, the flyover country, the place they're calling flyover country, but it really demeans the person saying it. I think. And I, so I don't want to do that. I'd rather sail. What I think is imperative is that and what you're, what will need to happen, I think, or as we have this mounting consumerism and growing population is that we're falling into habits of consumerism and most people aren't aware of the negative impact of that quite simply. And you became aware of it and started to make changes and you're living a different type of lifestyle that you're actually finding is healthier and makes it more rewarding. So I think how does that, how do you have a mass transformation like that? <laughs> is, is that'll be, I guess we can just only hope that will, as people become educated, that'll happen over time. Well, I don't know if you can see on the blackboard behind me, it says systemic change begins with personal change. And I don't think education will do it. I think education doesn't hurt, but giving people facts and numbers, I can tell a smoker what happens to their lungs. That's not what will get them to stop smoking. It's role models, it's experiences, it's stories, the stuff of leadership, community. If everyone around you smokes, you're probably going to smoke. If everyone around you stops smoking, there's a much higher chance of you not smoking than if everyone keeps smoking and someone gives you a bunch of facts. You're right. Yeah. That's what I'm working on. That's my challenge. I've decided not to leave that one aside. I'm going into that one. I do believe that billions of people can change their behavior, enjoy it, and be glad they did it and want to wish they'd done it earlier. Uh, the strategy is to work with CEOs, leaders, and a CEO in a energy company is even more influential. I don't know. <laughs> more, definitely more connected in the thick of things. Yeah. yeah. I got to give it a lot of thought on that. This has been breaking somebody's habits and getting to try something new is, is a challenge. But once they do it, it can lead to really great results for everyone. But you're right. It is. And it comes down to the individual. How do you motivate that individual? to try something new. Yeah. I greatly appreciate your openness and sharing in the last episode and acting on it, even through COVID. And then sharing what happened 
with everyone today. I, uh, if it's okay with you, I'll wrap up there. Actually, yeah, that's could, great. I thought where you closed was pretty good, but if there's anything else that you might want to leave the listeners with, we could close on that. No, I just that I, you got me out of my daily routine to try something new and I enjoyed it. And now I'm going to, uh, I'm going to keep doing it. If you ever want to report back on how things evolve, I'd love to have you back for any time. Okay. In the meantime, Scott White, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed the conversation. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.